what's going on, everyone? This is Nolan Samber with Infinite Banking Radio, and this is an awesome episode because it's actually talking about the mastermind call that we did with all of our current clients and, uh, I guess, potential or future clients. Anybody that's wanting to learn more about infinite banking as ways to enhance their wealth or essentially be more efficient with their capital. We have an awesome guest on this episode. It's a guy named Mike Schwally. He's been on the podcast before, but he's actually the guy that got me into this business. He taught me this strategy. The guy's here at Nowland Associates in Birmingham. Um, it, it's a really great call. He, he goes into basically how he sold his business, started teaching this, this strategy, but how he was using this as a business owner. Owner, uh, and, and how a guy in our office basically taught Mike the strategy and why it's so much more efficient to use this strategy for a, a cash replacement than very than essentially using money from your bank account. And so I think you'll really enjoy this. It's about almost 50 minutes of a call where, uh, again, we've got uh, quite a few people on our call. So we've got some questions from people. But most importantly, we're going to go over basically back to the basics. Mike's going to tell his story, go into some details as maybe some ways to uh, pay off some student loans. He goes into a, a case study of where they've got a client right now that is a, a higher income earning surgeon now. But at the time when he was first getting out of uh, residency, he goes into he's in a lot of debt. And so he basically basically just shows a way to repay that debt more efficiently, have more money than just doing it what the, the traditional way of what everybody tells you how to do it. So I think you guys are going to get a lot out of this episode. Again, it's a little bit longer than normal. It's going to be about 50 minutes, but I really think it's going to be impactful if you listen to what Mike and I are saying as a way to be more efficient with your cash. So before we get started, though, let's hear a quick word from our sponsor. My Financial Snapshot is the official sponsor of the Infinite Banking Radio podcast. My Financial Snapshot builds personal financial tools to help you track your finances. Their Snapshot tool is the first easy-to-use and reusable personal financial statement builder available online. It's the perfect solution for real estate investors and business owners. Their budgeting tool takes the hassle of budgeting away and lets you focus on the results of your budget. Individuals can get unlimited access to their tools and educational resources for $44.99 a year or $6.99 a month. For Infinite Banking Radio listeners, use coupon code INFINITE20 for 20% off your subscription for life. Use the link in the description and get started making personal finance easy and simple today. All right, guys. So thanks so much for everyone coming on to the uh, the mastermind this month. I know I was a few... Uh, a, a few weeks behind on this one, but I've got an awesome guest on our on our um, on our mastermind tonight. It's a guy named Mike Schwally. He uh, he has been a huge impact. He's had a huge impact on me and my understanding of this uh, strategy. He's actually the one that got me um, involved in infinite banking, and um, he stuck with me. I'll tell that story in a minute. But of course, just kind of the itinerary. Let me jump in really quickly on back to the basics. If you guys remember what we're doing, we're doing. Um, basically just going over why we do infinite banking first. I'm going to lead it over to Mike. He's going to kind of tell his, his story about how he was a business owner, sold that business, got into infinite banking. And then of course, we'll open it up for some questions at the end. Um, I've even received some questions from some other guys in the past. So let's just jump into this really quickly. So here we go. Let's see here. Okay. So again, guys, um, view here. Let's see here. So our slideshow, I'm not going to bore everybody with the slideshow, but again, this is just uh, part three of uh, our entire um, strategy on how to eliminate income taxes and how you do this essentially is through bonus depreciation with commercial real estate. And if you use, if you inject equity from life insurance, 
Your money keeps growing tax-free, of course, uninterrupted, as we, as we know. So again, guys, before we jump into anything else, again, back to the basics, we finance everything that we do, right? We're either uh, borrowing from somebody else. This is the Nelson Nash way, of course, but we're borrowing money from somebody else and we're paying them back with interest or we're saving up cash and then we spend our cash and we give up the ability to earn interest. So what happens is, of course, we don't really get anywhere with either way, whether we're borrowing someone else's money and again, we, we pay them interest or we spend cash and we give up the ability to earn interest. So it's either one or the other. There's no really in between until, of course, uh, we discover door number three. But of course, infinite banking, what happens is, is when we make deposits into these life insurance policies that are structured for cash or uniquely or specifically designed for cash value, we never are interrupting the compound interest of our account. So every time we make deposits, it just continues to grow that principal amount each and every deposit, whether it's a monthly or whether it's an annual deposit, those dollars continue to stack on top of each other. And then we have the ability to borrow against that principal or that cash value that we've accumulated and deploy it into investments or business equity or real estate that we know better than anything else. So again, Life insurance is not an investment. It's just a better savings warehouse or a better location to warehouse our cash before we know the investment that we want to deploy our capital into. Okay. And Nolan, I'll interrupt you on that. Go yeah, of course. Real quick. You know, the, the key there is below the line, someone else is in control. You know, right. above the line, we're in control. You know, we want to be above the line. Uh, we get that. Uh, we all want to be above the line when it comes to cash. Now with infinite banking, we we get the ability to control the leverage that the banks used to control against us when we borrowed money. Now we're in control of the capital. The capital continues to grow, and we get to control and do different things with our money, with the cash flow. So, sorry, just wanted to add that. No man, nugget. no, one hundred percent. And more importantly than anything else, of course, with all the uh, this is being recorded in May of twenty twenty three, but with all the noise going on. In, in the world about banks being gobbled up by bigger banks and there being runs on banks. As Mike knows, and, and all of us in uh, the mutual insurance world, there's never been a run on a mutual insurance company. So for every dollar, it, just to do a quick history lesson, for every dollar that is out deployed in the marketplace that, that the banks are lending out, let's say you have a dollar in a deposit, there's only, for the most part, fraction reserve lending, there's about 10 cents uh, inside of the reserves for these banks. So anytime that there's you know more than one person or even three people that want to go to the bank at once and get those get their their money, the banks have to sell their bonds in order to create a liquidity event. But because all these bonds that they purchased in the past, you know, 36 months, 48 months ago, they're actually having all these bonds that now a loss. Now they're they're taking 30, 40% losses on their bonds that they purchased in the past to in order to have a liquidity event event for all of their depositors trying to withdraw cash. So they're in a really tight pinch. Well, with mutual insurance companies, for every dollar that is on deposit, I'm not going to speak for one particular mutual company, but for every dollar that's on deposit, you have over a dollar, most sometimes even higher, $1.25 of reserves versus in banks, it's a dollar that you have in cash. It's a penny in reserves. You've got $1.25 in reserves with mutual insurance. So just to do a quick little, I don't know, history lessons of economics. But again, why are we doing infinite banking? I want to just dive into this really quickly and then we'll turn it over to Mike because he's got a really good story. 
But again, there's only three locations of where we can locate capital that we can that we can hold, house capital. It's tax today accounts, your bank account, things like I just mentioned, where it's not as safe as what everybody says it is. You've got tax deferred, your 401ks, your IRAs, and then tax never, your mattress, your safe, and infinite banking. Going into all of these really quickly, I'm not going to dive into too deep, but if we go down the tax today column, we're not getting a competitive rate of return. Of course, we have liquidity. I wouldn't call it safe because unless you have more than the FDIC, but believe it or not, it's not tax-free. If you're earning anything, I think there's the Apple savings account right now that's out there throwing off 5%. Well, of course, you got to tango with Uncle Sam. He's going to get a slice of that. It's not creditor protected. If you're ever being sued, nobody's ever going to be able to, no lawyer is going to say, oh, I'm not going after his bank account. That's the first place they're going is your bank account. And then, of course, whenever you've got money that, you know, you want to go buy a car, you want to go, you know, buy a new pair of shoes and you take money from your, your account, it's no longer earning for you. Let's go to tax deferred account. Competitive rate of return in our 401k or IRA, that's what we're comparing this to right now, which is an investment, by the way. Is it competitive? We hope it's competitive or it wouldn't be there. It's not safe because as we have seen in the last 12 months, it's gone down. It's not liquid. We got to keep our cash in there till well, 59 and a half. It's not tax-free. It's tax deferred. It's creditor protected, thankfully. Now that's up to depending upon what state that you're in. But then, of course, it's not uninterrupted. Whenever you go and start taking cash out to go do something with it, you're no longer earning on those dollars anymore. So let's go to infinite banking. Is it competitive? Of course, it's competitive. We're earning 4% guaranteed in these contracts. Plus, we're going to earn a dividend. I like to be conservative and say 4.5%. Now, again, that's different on whatever insurance company that you work with, but let's just call it 4.5%. It's safe. You cannot lose money. Every single day of the week, you're earning more than, than you would. You, you can never go backward in these things. I actually had a, a mentor of mine. He said, uh, imagine you're, you're playing baseball and um, you know, you've got, if you're in private equity, you might be hitting home runs. Well, life insurance, you don't maybe hit home runs in regards to returns, but you're always hitting stand-up doubles. You're always on base and you're always moving forward. You're never going from second to first base. You're always going from first to second in regards to growth. You, you can't go backward in these. It's liquid. It's the, the same liquidity as where, hey, Nolan, I need a policy loan. I say, sounds good. Grant, it'll hit your account in two to three business days. It's a text message. It's tax-free. All the growth inside of these things are never touched by Uncle Sam. Creditor protected. I even like to go a little further and say it's completely private. Nobody knows that you have money in these things, um, especially if you ever have, have an attorney trying to get after you. Um, he, 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 unless he sends you a subpoena, he can never know actually what's in these things. But then really what the straw that stirs the drink is when you got money in these things, you never interrupt the growth. You're always essentially taking a, they're going to put a lien on your death benefit. So imagine if you've got a hundred thousand in cash value, you've got a million in death benefit. You go take a $60,000 policy loan to go purchase a piece of real estate or whatever it is you're still earning on the $100,000 inside of your cash value. That's not being interrupted because you're not actually removing your money. You're actually using the insurance company's money. And we can go into some more leverage. I know Mike will get into that in a minute. But most importantly, your dollar continues to grow as if it never left. And you're earning on that principal amount that you deposited. So you ask people, would you rather earn on a small number or a large number? That's kind of what infinite banking really comes to be. So I will get into the, the design, get into a little bit of how the policy is broken down. If we all remember, 
basically $100,000, you've got what is known as the flexible paid up rider. It's essentially our fancy word for cash value. But what it does essentially is purchase more death benefit for no cost and all the money goes to cash value. And then the base premium is in the very first year, it's illiquid. It's it's Uncle Sam. It's the IRS basically drawing the line in the sand saying what we can and can't do. Uh, we got to send a little bit of money to, to expense just because if it wasn't, um, it would be a modified endowment contract. And that just means that uh, you're going to get a 1099 every year for all the growth that that you earn in your policy. But um, it's flexible. I won't get into all this because we know this, but I really want to dive in really quickly and then I'll turn it to Mike. How we compare infinite banking to a home equity line of credit. So if we're looking on the on this left-hand column here, let's, let's look at a real estate property or, 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 or a piece of real estate. Let's say that uh, you make a deposit or you make a down payment on your property of 100,000, it's a million dollar home. Well, most people can either, if they want to go redo their kitchen or bathroom, you can take a second mortgage, you can borrow from your rich uncle, or you can borrow from your home equity line of credit or your HELOC. And so what that does, though, is every month that you make your mortgage payments, you're building more equity in your home. And so when you want to borrow from your home equity line of credit, they're actually not doing anything about your equity. What they're doing is just going to slap a lien on your asset or the home. Because when you borrow against your HELOC, the bank doesn't really look at so much as the equity in the home. They look at the asset that they're, that they're lending against. It's the same thing with life insurance. When you make a deposit or this equity or this cash value that you have in your policy, you go and purchase death benefit. That's the asset in the insurance company's eyes. So when you want to go and borrow from the equity, because again, a premium deposit is identical to a mortgage payment. You're building equity. When you go and borrow from the equity or the cash value in your policy, they don't remove the equity or the cash from your account. They slap a lien on the asset, which is the death benefit. And so your money continues to grow and compound and earn as if it never left because it hasn't left. They're just letting you get a prepayment of death benefit of this huge asset that you purchased with that illiquidity in year one. So that's kind of where that's at. So, Mike, I want to turn this over to you as you're kind of our guru when it comes to, uh, you know, you're the one that brought me into this game, man. And I want you to kind of tell your story. So. Let me make you the uh, let me make you the host. There you go. And while you're doing that, man, I want to, I want to add that last piece that Nolan just point, point, pointed out. You know the the equity in your home that you build up when you borrow against it in that HELOC, it doesn't lower the value of your home. The value of your home is still right. four hundred thousand, a million dollars, whatever it is. Just because you borrowed against it doesn't lower the value. Same thing works in that life insurance contract. When you borrow against it, it doesn't lower your cash value. The value is still there. So. Great, great point, Nolan. Good stuff right there, guys. Hopefully that made a lot of sense to you. Um, all right, I'm going to share two different examples. Um, I'm going to start with this one because um, this is where I started. And, uh, you know, Nolan talked about me being a business owner and I could share a, a real life example. You see my screen okay? Just want to make sure. Yep, you're good to go. Okay, good deal. So, you know, I, I business-wise, we did use this strategy. We used it right away. I had a buy-sell agreement. We had term insurance. We we used some cash value from our, our we use cash all the time. We were big Dave Ramsey guys at our office. And uh, 
but we had a line of credit open at the bank, but that's a great solution. I can go into that. But what really hit home with me, and this is what I'm going to share with you guys today, is the advisor in this office that taught me this about 15 years ago sat me down and said, let's look at your personal finances. What are you doing personally that maybe we can enhance and, and do a little differently? So this part of the book, the Becoming Your Own Banker book, really stood out to me. You finance everything you buy. You pay interest to someone else. You give up the ability to earn interest. And it took me a while to understand that because that's not what Dave taught me, you know. And and so it took me a while to understand that. But when he when he broke it down and he showed me the numbers, here's what he showed me. So he he made me bring in five years of my savings account statement. You know, my wife and I's security fund, our our you know our emergency fund, right? And at, in 2006, we had about $36,000 in our account. That was our you know, savings. We didn't want to go below that line. We wanted to kind of stay in that world. So this is very similar to what Nelson or Nolan just showed you. But you know, here's real life. This is, this is what I, we found out. So I was saving about $600 a month. So about $7,200 a year, we were saving into our savings account on average. And so we would build it up. And then life happened. We needed a new deck on our house. We put about a $6,000 deck on our house and we built it up, paid cash for it, right? Well, we went below the line. We refilled it. Then my kids needed braces, right? Had to go back below the line, had to refill it. Then, then we decided, to, or then our air conditioner went out. It was a pretty expensive air conditioner at the time, but um, about $6,000. That was, you know, back in the Obama days. And they actually gave us a credit because it was a real high efficient uh, air conditioning unit, but real life situation. Um, and then <laughs> we went on vacation. Yeah. Hey, you got to take care of those credits when you can get them. Then we went on a vacation with the family, you know, we spent cash and then my wife, this was a big one, right? About a $20,000 hit. My wife wanted the new SUV. We bought that. That thing lasted for about 12 years, just got rid of that a couple of years ago, but, um, all the, all the different things. So, you know, we, we went on another vacation. We went, you know, kitchen renovation, like Nolan mentioned, I bought a used truck, didn't spend much money on that. You know, the wife got the new car. I got the used one, um, you know, a Disney trip. And then, a, a, you know, a couple of different things that we did. But basically what I want to show you is we started with around 36 and we ended with about 36, right? This was real life for us. Well, during that time frame, there, there was about, I can't remember the number, but I think it's around $70,000 that we spent during that time frame, you know, money going in, money going out, money going in, money going out. This is real life. And so he sat me down and he said, look, what if we could do this with infinite banking? You don't change anything you do cash flow wise. You don't take any risk. You don't work any harder. And we just do it through a more efficient vehicle. And he showed me that my balance, oops, sorry, my balance would have grown to about $75,000. So same cash flow, same everything, and having about $40,000 different at the end of that time period. So that's opportunity costs. That's the money that I interrupted every time I spent my cash, it went down and I had to refill the bucket, right? And so that opportunity cost adds up. And then that was a big deal for a five-year time period. But then he showed me a lifetime. You know, he showed me a 35-year time period. Well, that 35-year time period added up to $804,000. That, that means I don't change anything I'm doing. I still save the same amount of money. I still buy the same amount of stuff through my lifetime. But at the end, I've got $804,000. I, 
I empty and refill, empty and refill. It's it's a long play, right? It's it, and Nolan will tell you this isn't a get rich quick scheme. This is a get rich slow scheme. That's tax free eight hundred thousand dollars. That's one point five million in a in a qualified plan, basically. Who knows what taxes are going to be in twenty forty five, right? So that's that's the the difference. That's not bad for a savings account, right? Mike, can you go in really quickly? Yeah. I want you to talk about uh, what opportunity cost. What is that? Where where is that money? Where what happened to that? Like where yeah where is that going? Who who earns that? That's a great question. Uh, I, I would challenge everybody on this call. You know who who is earning that money if it's not me? Anybody got something? Well, what what does the bank do with your money? Your bank. Thank you. There you go. Great job. Uh, Grant gets the 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 ten extra bonus points. Today. There we go. But um, so the bank is earning on that dollar. When you make deposits, they don't put that money in their safe and earn. You know, let it collect dust. They are going out and deploying that money and making money with your money. Same thing works here. We are becoming the bank. We are taking ownership of our cash flows of our collateral. So when we do that, now we earn just as the banks would over our time period for all the purchases we're going to have in life. Uh, trust me, it hasn't stopped. We're in 2023. I'm in, in the 14th year of this policy. And here, here's this exact policy. This is my policy. This is the one I started 14 years ago. I am right here in that policy year. All right. There's a couple things I want to point out. You know, it, it's compounding. I made a $7,200 deposit this year. What did my cash value grow that year? 14K. You almost That's doubled it. your money, Mike. Ed, say it again. I said you almost doubled your money. I did. Yeah, almost doubled that year. You you think I can't wait to make this deposit next year? You're dang right I can't because next year it gets better. The next year it gets better. The next year it gets better. You know, by by year 30 uh, down here, I'm making 7,200 and it's going up almost you know 32K. It's more than tripling. You know, that's a that's a generating producing thing for me. And this is I'm going to keep funding it forever. But that's that eight hundred and four thousand dollars in thirty five years that I'm going to have. You know, whether I retire or not, I don't plan to retire, but but I'm going to keep on doing this. And this is just one of my policies. I have six of these, you know, so I've got two on me, two on my wife and two on my kids. And this is how we're going to have a family banking system. Everything we we do in life, mortgages, cars go on vacations. It's going to come through this vehicle. So this is just one of the pieces. So I'm going to, I'm going to stop this one and quit talking about myself for a second. And I'm going to share another one here. And let me see here. Ooh. All right. So I want to show you guys another solution because this is a real life example of, of a student that we worked with. Um, this is awesome guys. Check this out. This is great. So this is a student that we were talking to getting out of college. She was a medical student. She had about $205,000 worth of student debt. And the first thing she was going to do, because that's what everybody, this is what her dad told her to do, is the minimum payment was going to be about $500 a month. And she she knew that she could keep kicking the can down the road like all the other people that are in the student loan debt world right now. But she wanted to get out of debt. And so she was going to pay $2,000 a month instead of $500. Her minimum was $500. She was going to throw $2,000 a month because she's making four or $500,000 a year. And she was going to throw $2,000 a month at this student loan. And luckily, we ran into her and we showed her another strategy. So 
This is what we, this is a debt reduction software that we use called Zilch. And it showed her that starting with that almost $205,000 worth of debt, it was going to take her roughly about eight and eight years and a couple months to pay that thing off. So what you see up here is the extra $1,500 of pledge money she's putting in. She had to put in 500, but the extra 1,500 got her to reduce her debt just by throwing cash at the solution, right? So we stopped her and we said, hey, what if there's a better way? What if we could show you that that $1,500 a month, still keep on paying your 500 minimum, but that 1,500 a month, what if we save that up? Well, let's, let's compare it. Forget she ever met us and forget infinite banking. What if we just put that money into a shoebox? Well, that, that shoebox is gonna earn nothing and it's going to be $144,000 over an eight-year period, right? Well, if she put it into a money market or a savings account, let's say that money market or savings account is earning 1.5%. You know, remember, this is 2018. Rates were a little different back then. But if she would have earned that, that, that $144,000 would have grown over her lifetime to two hundred and twenty-nine, right? So and that's only contributing for eight years and then stopping, never putting another dime in. Well, the solution was, what if we took a loan from that savings account or that money market and paid off that student loan, right? Instead of putting money and giving it to the student loan, put it in the savings account in our money market, and we take the money out because we've been chipping away at $500 a month. And by the time eight years came around, there was about $140,000 left over that she had to just write a check to the, to the student loan creditors and we paid them off, right? She's done. Well, she never put any more money in and that, that account's only got $14,000 when she's you know, down the road about 70 years. Well, she freed up cash flow, right? She freed up a couple thousand dollars a month. So a good person would put that money back into that savings account, refill her bucket, right? So if she took that 140 out, if we said five years, it took her $28,000, a little over $2,000 a month to pay that back, she'd refill her bucket and she would get back to that 220 mark that she had a few years earlier, right? There's nothing wrong with that. That's what most people do. They take a loan, they pay it back, and they get back to even. That's, That's what you were just describing, Mike. You just showed that whole song and dance over the last, you know, over your, you know, your years before. That's exactly what you did. And that's, that's exactly what, what everybody does. Yeah. And that's what most medical students, when they get out of debt, they're trying to pay down with cash and then they pay, then they refill their bucket, right? So that's the average America is what we're looking at right here. Well, we showed her, what if we did the same thing, but we did it with infinite banking? It's a $900,000 difference over her lifetime. We're going to do the same thing. We're going to put the money, same eighteen. dollars hundred or $1,500 a month, $18,000 a year for eight years. We take the same loan. She refills it the same way with a little bit of interest back to herself that we're paying back the policy and look at the growth over her lifetime, tax-free growth. That's just because we thought differently. We acted differently. We took a little bit of risk using a life insurance product as our savings vehicle, but we never interrupted compounding because she had you know, $150,000 head start on compounding. That's the difference. I'll go back. You know, when you interrupt compounding, this is what happens. 
<laughs> you stop the compounding process. But when she didn't interrupt compounding, it just kept on going, kept on going for the rest of her life. And she's going to get to a 30, you know, 48 years down the road when she's about 65, she's got a $1.1 million in there tax-free. I mean, which, which solution works better for you? All right. Yeah. It's a no brainer. And Mike, I want, would you mind kind of diving in really quickly? Um, You know, we talk about it on the podcast and stuff, but I want you to talk about EVA. You don't really talk about it. You just met, you just said, uh, Oh, a little bit of interest. Can you, can you kind of give a 30,000 foot overview on like what EVA is, what is economic value add and why that is like so important when practicing infinite banking? That's great. Yeah. Uh, in, in EBA, I'm going to steal it because it, it was written in a book. Um, there was a large CPA firm that worked for Coca-Cola and uh, they got called into the CEOs and CFOs and um, of Coca-Cola. And they sat down, they looked at their books and they, they did a deep dive and they said, guys, you know, you guys are a major corporation. You've got millions of dollars of capital, probably billions. And what we noticed is that when you borrow, let's say they were Coca-Cola was building a factory in Ohio, and they borrowed $100 million to build this factory, they would borrow money from the bank, and the bank would charge them interest 6 7%, whatever it was. And they were paying them interest to, to pay off that factory, right? Well, at the same time, once they get that factory in place and it gets built, they had to build their, their trucks, their fleet, of or their warehouse, or their different equipment, whatever they bought, and they were using their own capital, and they were using cash. And they noticed that when they spent cash, they were just replenishing that cash with the same, they'd take a million dollars out to buy a bunch of trucks. They'd put the million dollars back in over time. Well, so they were, they were practicing, they weren't practicing and being good stewards to their money. They, they, they liked the bank's money more than they liked their own capital. So what the this, this company, the CPA firm showed them was treat your money, your cap, your capital, the same way you treat the bank's money. If you're going to treat their money with, interest, treat your money with interest, treat it with economic value added, give it whatever the the the, the economy is going to charge at the current rate, treat your money with the same value as you would. And they're uh, instantly, you can look, go back and read books on it and look at Coca-Cola's value. Coca-Cola went through the roof, their stock started going up, everything started going up because their profits went up because they started treating their money with the same value. So now, to real life, life insurance contracts work the same way. They make us practice. They force us to practice EVA with our dollar. When we take money out of the account, they charge us an interest rate. Now, this one was, uh, I think, 5%. This was done in 2018. The contracts back in 2018 were a 5% interest. The ones today that Nolan and I provide to our clients are 4% fixed interest. So even better. But they force us to pay that back to ourselves. They make us put the money back into our contracts and they're taking a piece of that. There's profit for the insurance company, but that's okay because it's a mutual owned insurance company and we get to partake in those profits, which in turn gives us higher dividends and higher returns. So EVA is all it is, is just treating your money with the same respect as lenders or anybody out there that's part you're borrowing money from. I love it, dude. And that's awesome. And so uh, I wanted to do um, really quickly. I wanted to, if, if Mike, if you don't mind making me the, me the um, yeah. host one more time here. Yep. I want to show, uh, let's see here. It's going to let me do it. 
Oop, hang on. I got you. Hold on. I want to show you guys kind of, I did a video on this and the question that I kind of posed was, does leverage work, right? Does, 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 does using other people's money make mathematical sense? And so I want to walk through this because um, this is something that I, in my opinion, I think is most people, again, kind of the Dave Ramsey's, they say, well, why would I use other people's money when I can use cash, you know, yada, yada. Now this isn't very pretty, but I just want to, Go over these numbers really quickly. So let's just look at scenario one. Does 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 using other people's money or you know does using leverage make mathematical sense? Okay, let's just walk through this. Let's just use this as a real estate deal for a second. Okay, let's say that we're buying and, and we can add a zero, we can take off a zero in regards to the purchase price. That's not really important. It's 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 the it's the ratio and the math. Okay, so if we're looking at a purchase price of a million dollars. You can inject equity. You can either syndicate it. You can have. You can win the lottery and deploy a million dollars, whatever. But let's just say the the property cash flows a hundred thousand dollars a year. So a return uh, return on investment is essentially your net operating income, and you divide it by your equity. That's how you find your rate of return, right? So ten percent here. So what we did is we just we just divided our cash flow divided by our equity. That provided a ten percent return. That's one scenario. That's one way of doing a real estate transaction. And this is just going along with what Mike was just talking about, practicing EVA, but most important, why using life insurance is better. But let's let's just look at scenario two. You The same thing, a purchase price of a million dollars, but instead of you bringing a million dollars of equity, you're borrowing $800,000 from a bank, which means that you still have to find $200,000 of equity to deploy. The cash flow is still the same. The debt service is sixty thousand. Now, again, I know where interest rates are. Let's just kind of use a you know this round number of sixty thousand, which means our net operating income is now only forty thousand dollars. It's a lot less than a hundred grand in cash flow, but we had to only bring two hundred grand in equity. So if we divide our net operating income by our equity, we have a twenty percent return versus a ten percent. So we can see we're kind of stepping up here. It, it's it's showing that using someone else's money or using debt is making more mathematical sense for us to get a higher rate of return on our cash, okay? Let's look at scenario three. Same deal, same purchase price. We're going to borrow the same amount of money from Community First Bank or whoever the, the local bank is. Instead of us using money from a bank account or a checking account or some type of money market, we're going to borrow $200,000 from our policy. We're going to take a policy loan. Now, again, it's kind of like what Mike was saying earlier. Like, why would we, why are we paying interest on money that, why would we pay interest on our own money? It's ours. No, it's not. We're using the insurance companies. That's what allows our money to continue to compound and grow. So if you look, the cash flow is still the same. The debt service is still the same. The cost of capital, which again, I, I, I wouldn't even call this like, you know, any equity injection, but just for the sake of math, $200,000 at 4% is eight grand. So let's just knock off another $8,000 of our $40,000 of net operating income to give us 32,000. So now what are we going to do? We're going to divide our net operating income by our cost of capital. It's going to be 400% return on that same deal, the same deal. Now, again, I would even call it infinite because we actually didn't deploy any of our own capital. But if we want to just talk about the cost of capital, you're talking about the same exact transaction from, from scenario one to scenario three, 
But the only difference is how we are deploying the equity. So for you investors that are out there, again, you guys, I know that you guys are listening to this. I want you guys to understand how important it is to use other people's money. Now, again, the biggest kicker is most people would say, I hate being uh, owing somebody else, or most importantly, I hate being on the hook for somebody else where the bank you know, makes you sign personal guarantees and they make you make sure that you know you, you sign over the, the, the leases and all that kind of stuff. At least with infinite banking, there's none of that. Mike would tell you, again, if you want to borrow money from your policy, you just send a text. I don't know a bank that's out there that's saying, hey, shoot us a text and we'll just send you some money unless you're, you know, a big, a big league guy, I guess. Hopefully we all are, but unless your name's Nolan Sandburn. Yeah. Right. (laughs) One day, I guess for all of us, but I just want to, yeah, I'll interrupt one more time. I mean, those numbers are accurate and I I totally agree, but let me ask you personally, because you do a lot of real estate deals. Yeah. When, when you get cash flow in from your properties, not only are you servicing your debt with the banks, are you not only servicing every month, your debt to the policy? That's right. That's right. So that 4% is not actually a true 4% because these are the type of loans that are daily average balance loans. Every time you send capital back to your policy, they recalculate that loan. That 4% is only accurate if you never paid back back your policy for the entire first year. Yeah. So it's even better than that, guys. Yeah. No, Mike's right. It, it was one of those things where I was more just going for the simplicity. And, but again, yeah, it, but the devils are in the details, of course. But most importantly, I, the way that I look at this, though, guys, is just the fact that, like, if we're going to be doing transactions, if we are going to be transacting business, it, it just mathematically makes more sense to use someone else's money than our own money. I, there's no other way to distill it down. If we're going to be doing any type of deal, whether it's from a bank, whether it's from a private money guy, whether it's a hard money guy, whatever it is, whether it's real estate, whether it's business equity, whatever, do not use your own money. Use other people's money. And when I say other people's money, I'm talking about the insurance company's money. So that's kind of my little, my, 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 my final, you know, thing that I want to say is just don't use your own money. Use other people's money because it will just increase. It will ratchet up your returns a whole lot faster than it would have if you're just using equity, which at the end of the day, that's if you got a bunch of money, then you know, then that's a great thing. But at the end of the day, though, you got to be using other people's money. Even Aaron Rodgers, who's got a forty million dollar contract with the now, I guess the Jets, he literally is still borrowing money to pay to to buy a house, like because he understands, yeah. hey, it's better to borrow other people's money than pay your, than use cash. So yeah, he, he, Elon Musk didn't use his own cash to buy Twitter. I mean, seriously, he, he's borrowing money, borrowing money. Okay, guys. So look, that was, uh, I hope that I was at least educational. Again, Mike, obviously love having you on. If you want to stick around for just a few minutes, just for uh, a couple questions, I know we got quite a few guys on. I just wanted to hear if you guys, everybody that's on here, if you want to unmute and you want to ask a question, if you want to talk, have a thought or idea, or maybe Mike can answer for you. You got it, the, the stage is yours. Michael, I'll, I'll go. Um, I think one of the things that uh, Nolan and I talked about is um, when you get to a certain point within your policy that you've kind of tapped it out, leveraged it, um, at what point did you see there was the need for the next policy? And yeah, um, great question. That, that's one of the things that I, I've got swirling in my head quite a bit. No, it's a great, great question. There, there's two answers to that. The first one was, um, 
number one, my income raised, you know, I started saving more money than that $600 a month. And I had kind of maxed out the rider. So that rider only lasts for about four to six years. So you're not going to put that rider in any more than about four to six years in the first beginning of the policy. So I got two things happen. Um, Number one, I wanted to start one on my wife. Our original policy was kind of just for our savings and we used that. But that second policy, I started noticing that hey, every year I'm writing a pretty good sized tax bill. And I wanted to start running some of that money through my policy. So I started one on my wife. Purely originally, it was just set up for taxes. So we started the second policy on my wife because I didn't need more insurance. I needed more cap places to park capital. So I started the second one on my wife. Then the next thing happened was I couldn't put any more rider into my original policy. My original policy rider was about seventeen dollars to $18,000. And my base premium was at 72 that you saw. And mm-hmm. so all I could put in was at 7,200 and I had nowhere to put that extra 12 yeah. and I had a little more income at the time. So I said, Hey, now's the perfect time. I'm going to start a second policy. And what I had was some extra term insurance. I had a large amount of term insurance when I first started because I was young. I was he- a lot healthier than I am now. <laughs> and, and I bought a ton of term insurance. So I, if anybody on this call is listening, Buy as much term insurance as the, the insurance company will possibly allow you early on when you're young, because all that is is a placeholder. So when life does happen and, and you earn more income or want to start a second policy, you take a piece of that term insurance, convert it into another policy. I didn't have to go in through any medical exam. I didn't have to prove anything. I could have had skin cancer. I could have had something could have happened to me. I wouldn't have had to show anything, just some signing of some documents. And I got a second policy started on me and, and I just started funding that one, you know? So, and, and Hey, I, you know, there's crazy things that happen in this world. You know, COVID happened, different things happen. Life throws curveballs sometimes and capital gets dried up. Hey, but there, I had a home equity line of credit. I used it one year to fund my policy, you know, just to keep the thing going because I was low on capital one year. So I borrowed from my home equity, paid my paid my premium, paid back my home equity, and I fulfilled my obligation for the policy that year. You can get so creative with these things. You know, everybody worries about like, oh, it's a long-term play that I gotta I gotta fund for the rest of my life. No, it's not. You know, it's it's just capital that we put in. You know, the, the obligation from the IRS is seven years. We gotta fund these things for seven years. But as you saw, I'm in year 14. I can't wait to fund my policy next year. You know, I can't wait for that. And mine comes in December every year. Uh, Merry Christmas. You know, every year I get to drop in $7,500 and it turns into 15. I mean, that's a great time of year for me. So yeah, that's hopefully that that answered your question. Yeah, sure did. Thank you. And Mike, can you kind of go in a little bit because we haven't really discussed this, but I know there's some guys on the call that, you know, may have some children and things like that. Can you go into maybe what it's like for, you know, when you, I mean, I, we're putting a, a policy on my nine month old kid. So what, yeah. what was it, what is it like for you? Like in regards to kids, is that a move? Is that strategy? Like what's on your mind regarding that? Uh, I mean, first off, I'm so jealous of my two girls, you know, like, I mean, we, we got started for my oldest and my youngest about seven years ago. They weren't big. I mean, we did about 250 a month in my one child and 200 into my other child a year, you know, a couple, three grand and $2,400 a year into a couple policies, right? But they were in their, you know, seven, eight years old when we started. And uh, 
my, well, no, they were a little bit old, 11 years old and probably 10, seven years old. So uh, my oldest now just went to college, right? And, and, the, the, and I'll give you a real life scenario to answer your question. Um, we, we funded her policy, funded her policy, funded her, her, her deal was you get a college scholarship, I'll buy you a new car. And so I own and I control those policies, right? That's my money, even though it's on her life. And I'm the beneficiary, but I'm the payor and I'm the owner of the policy. All she is, is is the insured. So when she got that college scholarship, she's playing basketball in college. Very proud of her. Um, she she was I owed her a car. So I took a twenty thousand dollar policy loan from her policy to go buy her a car. She doesn't know this, but to go buy her a car. Now, I'll refill that policy you know, and I'll fill it back up over time, over the next four years or whatever. But heck, I'd rather, I'd rather take a $20,000 policy loan than pay $40,000 a year for college. So I'm, I'm very happy in that scenario. But, but, but for her, and this is why I'm jealous when I think the numbers are Nolan, um, when she turns, you know, 30 years old and, and I feel like she's got her feet on the ground and she's making money and she can afford this policy, that $3,000 a year is going to lower because in the juvenile policies, you can run that rider for about 15, 20 years. Oh, yeah. And so so when she turns 30, I'll turn that rider off and I'll give her that policy. I can gift her that policy, no taxable event, gift her that policy. And now the premiums are $1,200 a year, $100 a month. And I looked at it. And when she's putting in $1,200, it's turning into like four or $5,000 a year for her. Wow. And when she's 65... I think the total contributions of the policy are like $110,000 and there's like six or 700,000 or 800,000 of cash value in there. It's, wow. it's ridiculous. You know, wow. I mean, so very small, you know, obligation for me and my wife to fund that thing. We could have done a 529 plan. We could have done other things, but those come with obligations and restrictions to that money and how I use it. I have total control of this capital. I was able to reward her for her hard work and give her that. And so, yeah, I mean, and then my youngest, who knows what will happen with her? You know, she's a, she's a good athlete too, but she's pretty smart. So she'll probably get an academic deal, but um, she got it from her mom. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to, to, to follow up. And, and if there's somebody on there, that's got a thought or a question, obviously interject. I wanted to mention, um, I have a couple clients that are uh, um, a doctor and a wife. And I wanted to tell this story because Mike had a really great insight on this that I really didn't think about. I think I knew it was probably in the back of my head somewhere, but I didn't, I didn't think of it. Thankfully, Michael, Mike brought it up, but uh, basically they've got this, this doctor and his wife, they're, they're starting two policies, both on each other. And they want to figure out their, their, their high income earning doctors, but they want to figure out how they can lower their taxable income. Well, Michael's like, Hey dude, you need to show them that the IRS actually says they got four kids. Remember, the IRS says that you can actually pay your children $12,500 a year, and it's not only a tax deduction, but the but the money is tax-free to your children. And so most parents would say, oh, I'll just put this in a 529 plan or whatever whatever the, the Uncle Sam's asking you to do. But we're showing them, hey, funnel like a 1000 bucks a month for each kid into one of these things. So you got a tax deduction in your business. You've got tax-free money essentially going in. And then you've got tax-free growth on the back end that you have access to the entire time. So it's like kill three birds with one stone. And so we showed um, the doctor and the missus this, this illustrations. I was like, dude, this makes a lot of sense. 
You guys are basically saving money in taxes on your business. You're keeping more of that capital. Plus, you're giving your kids a really cool runway uh, as time goes on. Again, they're like 11 and 12 years old and you know maybe a little bit in between. But that's just something out there for whether it's for you, whether it's maybe somebody that you know, start paying your kids. Like start paying your kids. Like Michael's like, oh yeah, your son, he's photogenic. Okay, pay him. I was like, can I really pay a nine month old? He's like, pay him. <laughs> so it's like, okay, I'm going to start paying my kid. You know, it sounds funny, but uh, you know, if you're out there, like pay your kids. I mean, I didn't know that about that, but Mike was like, look, here's how you do it. He gave me the kind of the steps on it. And, and now, now this wife and this husband are like, like genuinely thrilled because they're saving more money in taxes. Their kids have a chance to kind of get some cool little growth thing. They get to teach them how to become infinite bankers. It, it just ends up being this really cool way of keeping everything in house versus sending it to somebody else and letting them control it and not having access to it. It, it kind of convolutes everything. So I thought that was a pretty cool little like story about that family at least. You got to have a good CPA. That's our disclosure. Yep. We're not CPAs. Yep. But yeah, seriously. Talk to, yeah. Talk to your CPA and and know the rules, but they're out there. The tax the tax rules give you some great opportunities to take advantage of, and that's one of them. And and, and, and of course, guys, you know this is kind of what makes it cool. Is we we've got an amazing guy on our team in Birmingham who's an amazing accountant. So. If and whenever you need somebody, you can let us know and we'll shoot you his information. I'll send a connecting email, you know, whatever's, however, I can, however, Mike and I can help you, we'll do it. So as we're wrapping up, does anybody have a few more questions or thoughts? Um, I know we, we, we normally like to leave the last 15, 20 minutes to, I say it like we do it all the time. This is our second one, but uh, you know, does anybody have any kind of thoughts, questions, kind of as we, as we uh, get ready to get out of here? Cool. All right. Well, Mike, man, appreciate your time, dude. Seriously. Oh, thanks, right thank you, man. You. The, uh, it, it was awesome. Seriously. Uh, again, guys, Mike is a, is a, uh, Keith, I will get Keith. I will get you. I will get you my guys, uh, information. I'll actually text it to you. I've got your cell. So, uh, Mike again, dude, thank, thank you, man. Seriously. He, uh, Mike is a great guy. He's the one that got me into this business. He, he stuck with me and I can't thank him enough because he, I was a arrogant kid that didn't know any better. Well, I thought I knew everything, but he stuck with me. And, uh, it's been, it's been one of the greatest things that's ever happened to me without being, uh, all, uh, you know, wishy-washy or whatever. But, um, well guys, thanks for coming on tonight. We appreciate it. What I'm going to do again is I'll, I'll post this thing in our, in our mastermind group. I'll post it on YouTube in our, in our, uh, private, our private group that you guys have access to. And then I'll put it on Spotify for you guys to listen that are audio people. So um, again, guys, thanks so much for your time, Mike. Again, thank you, brother. We'll, uh, we'll be in touch soon. All right, guys. Thank you, everyone. Talk soon. See you next month. Yeah, man. Thanks Thanks, everybody. Yeah. Yeah, We'll see you next week or next month. (laughs) See ya. You got it.